Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Thanks for joining us here in New York today. It's time for Blake Bourbon in the Hill. You guys take it away. Have a great show. All right. Thanks, Connell. Great show to you as well. We'll catch you here tomorrow. Hello at home and welcome to the Hill. We're going to give you a live look right now at the House of Representatives as the House is expected to vote on Speaker Johnson's first legislative bill a $14.3 billion aid package for Israel. But this is far from settled, as the top Democrat on the Hill today issued a new warning. Plus, his kids are on the witness stand. He is out on the campaign trail. Donald Trump in Texas and expected to speak very soon. We'll monitor that. And Tom Cruise. Yes, Tom Cruise. Why the latest Mission Impossible movie might have had an influence on an executive order coming out of the White House. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Robert Wexler, former Democratic congressman from South Florida. Morgan Ortegas, of course, the former State Department spokesperson in the Trump administration. Kevin Walling is a former Biden campaign surrogate. And Sean Spicer, former Trump White House press secretary and News Nation political contributor. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Come on in. Happy Thursday. Uh, The House will shortly be voting on a $14 billion aid package to Israel. For the first time, Republicans are making Israel aid conditional on cutting spending, in this case from the IRS. Now, this is causing the White House, many Democrats, even Mitch McConnell, to come out against the bill. But the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, says curbing spending needs to be the new norm here in Washington. We have obligations and we have commitments and we want to protect our, our, and help and assist our friend uh, Israel, but we have to keep our own house in order as well. And I think people at home, I think the American people understand that. At home, you have to balance your budget. At home, you have to make tough decisions. And Washington should run the same way. Panel, hello. Hi. Nice to have you all in. <laughs> See you. Uh, I want to start with you, Morgan. Okay. Because I'm in the hot seat. You're in the hot seat. <laughs> no, uh, but you got Republic, the new Republican speaker here yeah. conditioning aid to Israel on cutting spending. You, you comfortable with that? Or are you, uh, is, is that yeah, not the direction uh, what, he should be going? I don't know why anyone expected the new Republican speaker to take the president's position, the Democratic president's position. You know, I mean, the president came out with a very big spending package for both Israel and Ukraine and had other things in there. I believe that, you know, it, it went up from like... 25 billion to 60 billion for Ukraine. Um, the numbers were substantial um, f- from from when he first uh, in, uh, 
put it forward. So, again, I don't know what everybody expected. It's not like a new Republican speaker is going to come forward and say, yeah, I totally agree with the Democratic, you know, president's budget. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people from a foreign policy perspective that would like to see a clean Israel-only support package because, quite frankly, uh, they think that the president has not convinced them on what the strategy is for Ukraine. I think there's a big difference between saying you want to beat the Russians and you're happy to support the Ukrainians. That's a, a legitimate position by many Republicans who don't understand Biden's strategy and really haven't understood it since the day Putin invaded. By the way, uh, if we could take a live look at the, the floor of the House, because there should be a vote on this starting at any moment. We're going to be monitoring it as those votes uh, start to, to trickle in. They're just voting on an amendment right now, but they'll get to the real thing shortly. Sean, conditioning aid, uh, basically this IRS for Israel aid. Are, are you Love comfortable? It. Love it? Oh, Why? I'm so excited. <laughs> it's a breath of fresh air. Number one, I think bifurcating Ukraine from Israel, the House should be able to, and all the legislators should decide to show people where they stand on the various issues. The idea of putting them all together is a cop-out. Let Israel stand on its own. I think you're going to see a strong bipartisan vote on that. Let Ukraine stand on its own, fall or, or rise on its merits. But the idea of him addressing cutting spending, and could there be other ways to do this potentially? But coming out of the gate and saying very clearly, I understand that we can walk and chew gum, we can, we can be for Israel, and we can also look after our own debt. And this is a great place to start uh, by making sure that the American people understand that we spend way too much money and we can help our friends and offset it at the same time. Do you take issue with the cutting spending portion? Do you take issue that it's from the IRS? What's the issue? The issue is there's a time to play politics. That's fine. I understand that the new speaker wants to make a point on spending. That's fine. But we need to understand this moment for Israel. This weekend... The head of Hezbollah is going to make a speech, and the northern front may escalate in a very significant way. Israel needs American assistance now to continue the fight against Islamic terror. This is not the time to make a spending symbolic statement. And forget the fact that cutting money to the IRS does not, in fact, reduce the, de the deficit. It increases it. But that's politics. The important part, this is a do-or-die moment for Israel. Israel's friends should be clear. Send the money to Israel so that the, the Hezbollah uh, infrastructure, the Hamas infrastructure, the Iranian infrastructure, the Houthi infrastructure understands America is there for Israel. Well, listen to the congressman's point, too. This is the first time it's, it's, there's conditions to our uh, emergency military aid support to, uh, to, a state, uh, to a country like Israel. And the fact that it's already dead on arrival in the Senate, not because of Democrats in the Senate who control the upper body, but because of Leader McConnell, uh, the, the head of the Republican caucus, who is not interested in delinking, to Morgan's point, the, the issue of Ukraine and Israel from a, uh, from a uh, small-c conservative perspective from his leadership team. But the fact that it's not going anywhere, and to the congressman's point, they need it now. They needed it yesterday. They need to refill the Iron Dome. They need those resources on the ground to support that why is it always dead on arrival with what the Senate says? Why can't it be dead on the arrival from what the House said? The House has an equal vote in this. In fact, constitutionally, right. spending has to originate in the House. I don't respectfully believe that it's playing politics. I think it's about priorities. And it shows that we can support our friends. It's the Republican conference that is united behind Israel right now. It's the Democratic caucus that has problems supporting Israel. So respectfully, I would argue that the people who are playing politics with supporting uh, Israel— that's 
are in. Oh, okay. no, 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 you're, no, you're not getting. No, I was going to say script. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, it's, it's a great jumping off point because breaking tonight in the war zone, Israel's military says it's now encircled Gaza City, the capital of the territory. Uh, it says it's attacking positions and engaging Hamas fighters in face-to-face combat. The Prime Minister Benjamin Yahoo says, "Quote: I want to make clear. Uh, I want to make one thing clear. Rather, nothing will stop us." Now, here in Washington, President Biden is coming under fire after personally pushing for a humanitarian pause in Gaza to allow more aid to get to the area. The White House defended that idea today. A temporary pause that's localized that would allow us to get aid in and to get our people out is a good thing for the people of Gaza. It's a good thing for the Americans that are being held hostage. And it's not going to stop Israel from defending itself. Why, why I cut you off there was basically leading into that because you're making the right. argument that it's it, Democrats that need to This is the political part right in. here. Look, the, the, the White House recognizes they got a problem in Minnesota, they got a problem in Michigan electorally right now because the Democratic Party is now more in support of Palestine than they are in Israel. This is them placating that base right there. That's them worrying about their reelection. You shouldn't be telling Israel to stop. They have a right. In fact, a, a moral obligation to go in right now and do what's necessary to free the hostages and to seek retribution for what was done. Because what happened to Israel was barbaric, it was savage, and they have an absolute right to defend themselves. Robert. So the idea of a pause, give me a break. They're, they're nuancing. It's, it's not a ceasefire, it's a pause. I mean, this sounds like a page from Bill Clinton's dictionary. Well, I asked Ambassador Herzog yesterday on this show about the idea of a temporary pause. Here was his response. I do not know what uh, temporary pauses or humanitarian pauses mean. If people talk about a ceasefire, it's not going to happen because we are not going to stop our war efforts to destroy the Hamas war machine. You would respond how? Uh, Ambassador Herzog is correct. A, A ceasefire for a period of time would be tantamount to handing Hamas a victory. We should not do that. But let us remember that there are over 200 hostages And if there is an opportunity to get a large number of hostages, Americans, Israelis and other nationals, children, women, older people out, and that requires a two, three, four day stop with humanitarian assistance tied to that, that is a positive development. Now, one of the things that I think we all should think about beyond politics is humanitarian assistance, I would argue, enables Israel to achieve its military objectives, meaning the demilitarization of Gaza, get the Hamas leadership out, eliminate it one way or another, and enable more hostage recovery. Can, so it's not I, a weakness, yeah. it's a strength to deliver. I want to give, I, I get Morgan the floor here. Sean and I are both veterans. I don't know who else is on the panel. But the fact that we're even having this conversation is ridiculous. We, we would not be having this conversation with any other ally anywhere in the world. It is not up to us. This is their country. They were attacked, and and and, a, and the percentage-wise, they had more people killed uh, than we did on 9/11. It is up to Israel uh, to execute their military campaign. And the last thing that we need, unless he's going over to deal with hostages, the last thing we need is every few days a cabinet secretary from the United States flying to Israel to go tie their hands behind so, their back, leave them alone, and let them execute their war. So you were the spokes the spokesperson over at the State Department, Anthony Blinken, the state of, head of the State Department, is over the Atlantic Ocean right now, headed to Israel. Yeah. 
should he even should he even go? Is what is what you're saying? Or like- I, you know, listen. Maybe he, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's going to deal with hostages. I am skeptical because, skeptical because of this administration's record. I think he is going there to put one hand behind their back while they are trying to execute a military campaign. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Hezbollah is making announcements then and firing rockets uh, into northern Israel uh, at an unprecedented rate while he flies over, just to show the point that absolutely no one is scared of Tony Blinken. All right. So that's the president as his role of commander-in-chief, turning now to the campaign trail, uh, because there are new signs of trouble for the current commander-in-chief and his predecessor, too, by the way. Did you see this? A new poll shows that in a three-way race against those two, RFK Jr. would hit 22%. But here's, here's what's really interesting. Dig deeper a little bit here. He is the top choice for the youth vote at 38% when you're talking about those between 18 and 34 years old. That is six points higher than President Biden, 11 points higher than former President Trump. What do you make of it, Kevin? Well, it's fascinating. I mean, the the whole reason why Robert F. Kennedy dropped out of the Democratic primary is he hit that ceiling against the incumbent president. Which was like 13 or 14, somewhere So he's surging in a general election, uh, which is indicative that he's pulling a good amount of uh, vote share from uh, Donald Trump. And we talked about this uh, previously on the Hill uh, when he was running as a Democrat, that it was strange bedfellows in terms of his views, many of them conspiratorially, uh, views on vaccines, modern medicine, what have you, that appeal to, you know, more kind of uh, of the conspiracy minded Republican base of the, of the president. And you're seeing that play out. Now, my question is, you know, what party is he going to run on? You can't just run for president without a party line. And he's, you know, kind of tiptoed around the Libertarian Party, uh, certainly not the Green Party. But it's a question of ballot access. I mean, is this guy going to be on the ballot in 50 states? National polls are one thing, but can this guy actually run for president is a whole other this thing. This is your big thing, right? Yeah, or one is, of them? I, I've been, this is... If you tell me how the third party does in 2024, I'll tell you who wins the election. You look back at 2016, Michigan, President Trump won Michigan by 10,703 votes, 0.2% of a vote. The Green Party candidate got 50,000 votes. In 2020, Trump lost Michigan by almost three points. The Green Party candidate got 1,000 votes. The key comes down to the eight states that are going to matter in this election, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, North Carolina, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, New Hampshire. And the question is exactly what Kevin posed. Right now, there's not a single ballot that Robert Kennedy is on. Neither is, uh, is Cornell West. He dropped out of the Green Party. He dropped yeah. out of the Green Party. So if you cannot get on the ballot, and this takes, I've been doing this for 30 years. What if the Green years, Party picks him up, though, and he's able he's to? He's already said no. He doesn't want to be. Now, if they does, then that's fine. But the Green Party at least is on the line in some of those eight states. They don't have a line in a, every state. But he, right now, neither one of those guys will be on any ballot, any. So that poll is meaningless until you can get on a state, never mind any of the states. Okay, so you say, tell me, show me the third-party candidate, and I'll tell you who wins. Let's just assume, for this conversation, yeah. he is able to get on ballots. And he does a quarter of as well as those Trump. numbers. Huh? Mm. It, then it's, it hurts Trump. Okay. Mm. Unequivocally. But again, it's sort of like ifs and buts are, you know, right. presents, then you'll, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> the bottom line is, he is right now getting on a ballot as a third party in almost any state is very difficult, very expensive. And it's, I mean, we, as a, as a national party, I was there for six years at the RNC, we would have to go out and pay to get certain initiatives on. He doesn't have that access that a, even a, a candidate would to take a normal party line. 
So it's a, it's almost, it's a fun parlor. This is like one of those, if the convention goes to a brokered right. convention, if the electoral college ties, it's not going to happen. He's not going to be on ballots. Do you have fun talking about it? I love it. <laughs> For this reason. Because There's no infrastructure behind it. Right. 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 If he does this, but the bottom right. line is, until he can get on a ballot, right. it's a pointless conversation. But it is symbolic in the sense that it just shows, you know, where the mood of the American yes. people are in terms of what choices they'd like. Right. Yeah. I mean, 18 to 34-year-olds, it, it's, it's RFK Jr., it's basically saying, and even when you pull in Cornell West, it's it's right at around 40%. They're basically saying anyone but Trump or Biden. No, I will you. tell you this. The one thing, and, and I br- had Mark Halpern on my podcast to talk about this, the no labels is where we should exactly be talking. Right. Those guys have been spending two years uh, getting, getting ballot on access. ballot access. Yep. So if I were having, the, I mean, if you want to have a real conversation about where the third party will impact, no labels has spent two years doing this. And Mark laid out what they've been doing uh, and how much money they've spent and how they've been able to get independent uh, $70 million signatures, budget. right? Seventy yeah. million dollar budget, and you've gotten petitions through paid walkers getting that done. That's the real. They're threat. on a, on eleven states already. Yeah. The key is, if, if you're a Republican for the longest time, you've been thinking that the top of that ballot is going to be someone like Joe Manchin. Right. The latest chatter coming out of No Labels is it's more like a Larry Hogan, hmm. which is putting the Republican at the top of the ticket. Again, suddenly that equation flips real quick. And it hurts the Republicans. And you saw that play out right now with Larry Hogan endorsing that no-labels effort and Nancy Pelosi calling him out for it, right, which well, could be dangerous the former president, for both of them. Uh, former President Trump, by the way, his sons, Don Jr., Eric, testified in the New York fraud trial today against the Trump Corporation. They both said that they had no involvement in the drafting of the annual financial statements, which inflated the value of the company's properties used as collateral for bank loans. Now, Donald Trump Jr. says this is all an attempt to try to take down his father. I guess in the... Uh, attempt to get Trump, the attorney general can go at and try to, I guess, make more millions for the biggest banking institutions in the world who have already made millions. To either of you two, what's the mood inside Trump world right now with the kids on the stand? I mean, that has to be uncomfortable as they're consternate. Like, like, what's it like? I haven't talked to any of them about it, but I can imagine as all of us who are parents, parents yeah. like we, you know, and I think the president has actually said something to this, like sort of yeah. come after me, not basically after leave my, my kids alone. Sad to see my sons yeah. being persecuted in a political witch hunt by this out of control, publicly seeking New York. Nobody so I was at Mar-a-Lago last night. Okay. And I think the joke oh. around the place Tell was us. if anyone wants to, to sell it for $18 million, <laughs> every single person there was willing to take it. Yeah. Uh, th- this is, there is a bit of a jump the shark moment, and they do this in every one of these right. cases. The idea that you're valuing Mar-a-Lago and, and Congressman Wexler, I represented that area a little, but he know, I mean, that, that was just on its face ridiculous. And I think what's happened in a lot of these cases is they might have had a solid case to some degree, but then they do something stupid, like talk about the value of Mar-a-Lago being $18 million, um, and right. everyone kind of goes, okay, this does seem a little political, politically motivated. So, we, I mean, there were literally jokes about that last night as we walked So around. joking, but no, no worry? No, I, there was no worry that I detected, no. Okay, all right. Well, coming up, a revolt in the Senate against one of its own. Why some Republicans are now telling Tommy Tuberville, enough is enough. The showdown on the Senate floor and the battle over stalled military promotions. Plus, did the U.S. just make policy based off of a Tom Cruise movie. Why one of the closest aides to the president isn't denying the influence. And of course, we continue to keep our eye on the floor of the House of Representatives as Mike Johnson's first major vote is underway. The Hill returns. I will keep my hold in place until the Pentagon follows the law or the Democrats change the law. 
That was Senator Tommy Tuberville last night on the Senate floor, defiant, as the Alabama Republican maintains his hold on over 300 top-level military promotions over the Pentagon's abortion policy. But a group of his Republican colleagues finally had enough, asking him to end the stalemate. And to say, oh, don't worry, this isn't impacting readiness, with all due respect to my colleague, that's just wrong. It's not even a close call. And our military families today are saying, you know what, I don't want my kid serving in the military because they will be used as political pawns. That is dishonorable, and it's abhorrent. Seems like the tipping point here, obviously, was the, is the ongoing war. And then uh, General uh, Eric Smith, the uh, commandant for the Marines, ha- suffered a cardiac arrest. He's in the hospital. And that's what brought uh, these senators, I think, at well, least. Because the, the assistant commandant is, yeah. Right. Th- th- there's was now- just confirmed. I think uh, we got no, an assistant. No, no, no. You got uh, Lisa Franchetti, the CNO, right. and then the uh, Army Chief of Staff. Air Force Chief of Staff was confirmed. The number two is a three-star now in the Marine Corps that's serving in that four-star bill. Well, is fleeting up to serve in that billet. But you don't have a confirmed uh, deputy right now for the, for the Marine Corps commandant. Um, yeah. History, <laughs> unfortunately, is replete with examples when good countries like ours take our eye off the ball, take our eye off of our own national security, our enemies take advantage of it. Those Republican senators are right. Our readiness is being compromised. There is no excuse for not allowing the military to have the resources and the people it justly deserves. Here's what I found interesting last night. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham was one of the senators on the floor, and he basically warned that if Republicans are able to take back the White House, this is what's going to happen. If we take back the White House, we'll go back to the Mexico City policy, limiting dollars to be given to overseas entities that are engaged in the abortion business. Some pro-choice people don't like that. What would happen if they put a hold on all the officers because they don't agree with the Republican administration? See, right? No, no. So where, where Lindsay is wrong on this, with all due respect, and the, the interesting thing is, obviously, Lindsay retired as a colonel from the Air Force. But... This started because the Pentagon changed policy without going through Congress. This is this is of their doing. Now, I wish that Senator Tuberville would target the the political appointees, not the the, the folks in uniform. But at the end of the day, all he's saying is you guys changed a policy without going through Congress. So I'm going to. You know, put a hold on these folks. That's but that's isn't, how isn't this started. Also- and where Lindsay's wrong is that all they would be doing is going back to the law that Congress actually passed. But I think what he's basically saying, Morgan, is Democrats can do this too. Like if they don't like our policy, policy X, whatever, fill in the blank. Democrats can can play this game, and then we're back in this game. It's sort of like what happened on judges, right? Whenever the Democrats changed the rules there, and then all of a sudden when we got all the Trump judges through, uh, everybody sort of uh, maybe had a little bit of buyer's remorse. I, I think the part where, uh, where I really agree with Sean is that we should be holding the Pentagon accountable. I think we should be holding the civilian political appointees accountable. These are the ones that made the policy, and it's, and it's very easy to put a hold on everybody going into OSD policy, right, or coming in and out. Those are the people that should be 
penalized because those are the people that that are instituting this policy, which, by the way, is an incredibly bad policy. It wasn't thought through. And I don't even and, and I as a woman in the military, I don't think it's good for women in the military. But, but may I ask a question. Go for it. Do you think the Republican senators are correct? Is ready, readiness impacted? I don't think There's we're there no yet. Doubt. No, I, no I, I think there's no doubt. I, 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 I don't think we're there yet, but I do think so you, that two we're, dis- we're, you two. We're, we're emblematic of the Republican Party. At the <laughs> but I, I do think that there's a lot. The question is how long that goes. Right. I think that we saw this. We just had to go through the, the each member of the Joint Chiefs, the head of each branch to get them confirmed. The final one was confirmed today to give the Joint Chiefs a full compliment. I think we're getting close, and we saw this when you had the Commodore of the Marine Corps get sick, and you now have to rely, with all due respect, on a three-star to do a four-star's job. It it does get a little tenuous. I think that's why I would rather see him go after the civilian leadership than the military, because there's also bigger issues, and and Joni Ernst was also getting at this. It doesn't, for a lot of folks who spend a lifetime working really hard to get promoted, it's an honor to get your flag, and then to be told, hey, you're going to wait. I don't understand. Frankly, if, if you are right, and I trust that you are, that our readiness is impacted, that should be end of discussion. If your safety, my safety, if all of our safeties is impacted negatively. I mean, I don't know that our how- safety is impacted, but I, I will say what was really interesting about that clip, and, and I know Joni Ernst pretty, very well. Um, I'll be with her tomorrow, actually. I've never seen her that really? impassioned. I mean, she's a pretty, you know, she also served, I think, at least 20 years. She's a lieutenant In the Army, yeah, uh, 20, 25 years. Um, she's been in combat. She's a, and, and she's done a lot, really, to focus on uh, making sure that women do not experience sexual harassment in the right. military. I've never seen her that worked oh. up. All right, well, coming up, Ron DeSantis's boots. They're for walking. <laughs> and it is now Nikki Haley who's doing the talking. I've always said don't wear them if you can't run in them, so we'll see if he can run in them. What else she had to say as the battle for second place in the Republican primary intensifies? That's when The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back to The Hill. You are looking live right now at two ongoing political events. Left side of your screen, of course, Houston, Texas. The former president, Donald Trump, at a campaign event there today. Uh, The former president back out on the road campaigning as his uh, civil trial, of course, as we were just talking about, continues in New York. But there on the road, Donald Trump, Republican frontrunner in the state of Texas. And then right side of the screen, House floor, we continue to watch uh, the vote that is going to be happening some point here soon, we believe. They're dealing with a bunch of amendment stuff, which is our way of saying the vote's going to happen soon at some point here, we believe, uh, for the $14 billion aid package to Israel. As we know, uh, the Senate is basically saying that's dead on arrival. But in the House, what we're watching for is what Democrats are going to do with this package. And it is, of course, the first legislative bill for the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson. Of course, Nikki Haley wants to be in the middle of all this as the next president of the United States. So, too, does the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. And those two are now going at one another. For example, here was Haley appealing on The Daily Show last night, taking a swipe at DeSantis's boots. Uh, are you wearing higher heels than Ron DeSantis next week at the debate so you can look taller than him on the stage? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to figure that out. I can tell you, I've always talked about my high heels. I've never, um, you know, hid that from anybody. I've always said, don't wear them if you can't run in them. So we'll see if he can run in them. She knew that was coming. 
at some yeah. point, right? She had to. And 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 in honor of Nikki Haley, I have on my favorite high heels. <laughs> Me <laughs> too. Uh, you know what's interesting um, is that she is uh, surging, yeah. you know, competing for second place. But we really, other than a few jabs here and there, we really haven't seen the former president go after her as aggressively right. as he's gone after Ron DeSantis. So that leads me to think that the, his team still doesn't see her as a threat. She did get a, a nickname, though, Bird Brain. So we'll take that. That's an indication that maybe he's taking her a little bit more seriously. Uh, the amazing thing with this is you're seeing the same dynamic play out in 2016. Yeah. So now the two people under Donald Trump are fighting one another. They've launched campaign ads against one another. To, to Morgan's point where, it's, uh, 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 where Morgan is super interested, it's about China, right, in terms of countering uh, China and being weak on China, both of them, uh, when we need to be strong uh, on China. Uh, and uh, and we're going to see the same thing happen in 2016. And Donald Trump is going to cruise to that primary uh, win uh, and be the party's nominee. Look, I, I think we're losing sight of the issue here. As Which a five-six man, <laughs> I think the heightism that is is got to stop. The heightism has got to stop. We have got to start judging people by the size of their heels. Speaking of Mike Johnson, I just saw him walk out of the, see, the building. Guy. There you go. He's, That's why I a... was pro Patrick McHenry. I just wanted <laughs> he just somebody like, he to just like the bow ties. I, no, I just wanted somebody my size. <laughs> to, to be in, in charge of something. The fact that we're talking about this, I mean, Ron DeSantis, man, like it, it's a, looking a lot like right to rise with $100 million and going out the window. I mean, this is what we're talking about here. And he's got to be in Iowa. And the Iowa caucus starts in two months. Yeah, if he loses, look, I've said this all along. Pence and DeSantis were all in in Iowa. Nikki Haley is all, and Tim Scott are all in in South Carolina. And then you've got Chris Christie in in New Hampshire. This thing is going to be over by Super Tuesday, that first week of March, because everybody is staked a claim into a particular state. Pence obviously dropped out because he was moving backwards in Iowa. If DeSantis doesn't have a really strong showing in this Nikki Haley momentum, not just nationally, but in uh, Iowa in particular, has got to give them pause. He's going to have a reason to run home to Florida and suddenly have to ha- deal with issues there. Mm-hmm. Because he's losing a lot. I mean, you're seeing now Trump targeting state legislators in Florida, getting them to flip. Uh, Rick Scott coming out in support of, yep. of Trump. The, he's losing that grip he had on the, on the state house in Tallahassee and just, you know, blowing political capital. And, and the president went after the congressional delegation very early. Oh, on, yeah. Was able was able to, to get them. So uh, we'll see. You, you know, I'm curious, too, who makes the next debate stage. You know, I. I it, one of those people, we just showed the pictures on the screen, I, I don't think we're going to have everybody on the debate stage mm. um, that thinks that they're going to be on it right now. So there could be some well, big Well, it's next week, too, off. I think, right? That's is that the, yeah. the next one, right? Anyone ever we'll jab see. you about your clothing when you ran for office? Um, just always used to tell me to wear a tie. <laughs> okay, there you go. But that's how I'm dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> and looking sharp, too. All right. And then there's uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene going after her Republican colleagues after a failed attempt to censure Rashida Tlaib. Greene tweeted out at least... Uh, a list, rather, of the Republicans who voted to table the resolution, calling them feckless and pathetic. She is in your party, Rashida Tlaib. She has uh, said what is going on in Israel is genocide. There was a measure last night to censure her that was tabled essentially because of First Amendment issues and due process issues. Did they get it right? Um, I fundamentally differ with her. I think it's uh, outrageous on every level, and uh, she totally distorts the the meaning of genocide. And and she should be beaten politically, in my humble mm-hmm. estimation. She should be challenged on every legal, moral, political level. Um, but if the Congress of the United States is going to get into the business of of 
putting up these motions every time every member of the House says something, you, that's all they'll You would have voted against it last night if you were uh, still in I probably would have voted for it. V- voted for it. <laughs> <laughs> After saying all that, oh! Yeah. <laughs> Just being that's, that's, that's why when we sit up here yeah. and we say we think A is going to happen, and then Z happens in Congress, bingo, right. that was your example right there. That's I was, right. <laughs> I was with you. <laughs> I was with you until I wasn't. Right. But the Democrats are united but, on that front. I mean, I was Judith gonna... Tlaib has no business serving in Congress with the views that she expounded. She, you know, she, she laid uh, blame uh, with the Israelis on that uh, hospital bombing. Uh, when all the proof came out, including from our own DOD assessment, she refused to uh, backtrack, to apologize, uh, and to the former congressman's point, she should be beaten at the ballot. Yeah, well, that's it. That we have, if, if, I mean, I think this is the thing. If we start allowing members to have outrage against everyone who said something, we're going to spend every moment going from naming post offices to mm-hmm. expressing outrage about a different member. There's a method. These members are sent here by their districts. Allow them to happen. If you disagree with them, go support uh, a primary opponent to them. But this is going to start going down a very slippery slope. If that, We had three resolutions this week alone. Right. We've only ever kicked out three members over uh, the course of history, and two of them were in the Confederacy, the last being tr- tr- uh, Jim Traficant from Ohio after, he, up, was, Jim after he was convicted. <laughs> so w- I think people have got to slow the roll or we're really going to be in a bad place soon. All right. Well, as we go to break here, um, I want to give you a live look real quick at the floor House of Representatives because uh, we are told that they're probably in the area of under 10 minutes or so of voting on this Israel aid package. You can see the word amendment up there. So that's sort of some of just the formalities that they're going through, or at least the processy stuff. But the vote should be happening soon. We are keeping our eye on it. Uh, but coming up, did one of the most popular science franchise, science fiction franchises actually catch the president's attention enough to shape U.S. policy? One of the closest aides to the president is now revealing a link between a Tom Cruise film and a new executive order. We'll explain that link. We're back in a few. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com, and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Back. So tonight we are learning new details about what partially drove President Biden to sign an executive order on artificial intelligence. According to Bruce Reed, who is the president's deputy chief of staff, the president's concern grew after watching the new Mission Impossible movie earlier this year. When he was at Camp David, here's what Reed told the Associated Press, quote, if he hadn't already been concerned about what could go wrong with AI before that movie, he saw plenty more to, <laughs> to worry about. I guess the president's just like us, like, whoa, Mission Impossible. Uh, we got to worry about this AI stuff. Yeah, right. and, and Bruce Reed has been running point for the president on the AI front. It's a funny aside, uh, if it's true, and I, it sounds like it is. Did you, did you guys see what Colbert said about this last night? No. 
here, here, here is Stephen Colbert. <laughs> President Biden has been busy this week. On Monday, he signed an executive order to oversee AI. And there is no one I trust more (laughs) to save us from the rise of the machines than Joe Biden, as long as none of those machines is a bicycle. You know, if that's his takeaway from watching Mission Impossible, I'm very concerned about letting him see the Taylor Swift movie. Uh, But second, look, if you're worried about AI and the government, he's announced that Kamala Harris will now be in charge of it. She'll be the AI czar. And based on her track record, I think that pretty much proves that nothing's going to happen. By the way, we um, there has been some history here of movies influencing uh, policy. Uh, The movie War Games came out in 1983. It influenced anti-hacking laws that were passed during the Reagan administration. Uh, Dr. Strangelove influenced changes in military policies in the mid-1960s regarding who could access the nuclear code. So I guess they're not that far off. I haven't know. seen a single one of these movies. No. You haven't I seen War Games? Matthew Broderick? I haven't seen Mission we have, Impossible. Like, we have young kids. That's yeah, what you like to play we a game. Kids, so it's like, what's a movie? I'm watching Baby Shark. All right. I'm <laughs> well, watching yeah, Baby Shark games. on Oh, my gosh. And the little dogs on Disney. Yeah, that's all I'm watching right now. We have toddlers. Okay, everybody. Over to bed and put on War Games. Put on War Games. All right, now to the former president. Donald Trump sharing his latest plan. It's called the American Academy, an online university that's seemingly a response to what we're witnessing all across college campuses right now. The president, a former president, said it would be funded by taxing large private university endowments. Its mission will be to make a truly world-class education available to every American free of charge and do it without adding a single dime to the federal debt. It will be strictly non-political, and there will be no wokeness or jihadism allowed. What do you make of the idea? Uh, I'm not so sure about the idea, but universities certainly need competition, more of it. Is this the type of competition they need? I, I don't know enough. But he, he probably, is, the former president, is striking a chord with both all the parents who are paying excessive tuition, the students that are not getting as good an education as they might, given the cost they're paying, and given the kinds of scenes we've seen on university campuses in terms of protests that don't seem to be in any way fair or relevant to the debate that's happening at the national level in terms of security. Um, I think the former president may be catching on to something. I think he often likes to, President Trump likes to uh, say things to get the dialogue and get the conversation going and to take over uh, the news cycle. And listen, he is tapping into something that parents really care about. I mean, especially three of us are Jewish parents on the panel. And, you know, I'm very concerned whenever I see kids in New York City and in country, you know, colleges around this country that are essentially barricaded in a library and have to be escorted out uh, by police whenever kids are worried about should they wear a yarmulke, should they wear a Star of David, when you have people holding up signs in university campuses that say, from the river to the sea, what does that mean? That means that doesn't mean a two-state solution, my friends. That means the annihilation of the Jewish people is actively promoted on college campuses around America today. On a lighter level, I'm, I'm just happy to see, you know, the former president, a renowned uh, former school chancellor of Trump University. I was uh, waiting for this, someone uh, to go there. Back with this I was idea. waiting for someone to Sign go there. Sign me up. Yeah, Trump University, you know, we, you had to laugh with the pres- current president. 
and then the Trump University <laughs> stuff exactly. with this idea. You knew someone would go there. Uh, that was live picture of Donald Trump. By the way, can we show the House floor real quick? And Mark, can you can you repeat that? Because I, I think that, yeah, so the, the live look at the House floor. Thank you, Mark. Uh, as the House, you can see there, has passed the $14 billion Israel aid package. That, uh, I believe, is, is Steve Scalise. Yes, the number two in the House. Um, and, and I believe some 13 Democrats voted for this bill. 12 Democrats, excuse me, voted for this bill. So what was it? Um, $14 billion, give or take, in Israel aid. And paying for that by IRS uh, cuts to the IRS. Elizabeth Vargas, uh, come on in as we continue to watch here on the House floor. You can see uh, Mike Johnson, the newly minted speaker there behind him. This was this was a pickle here. What we were watching for Democrats, how many would would go along with Republicans? Because the headline is aid to Israel. Right. But as you know, there are some intricacies with this one. Yeah. And it was the aid to Israel that got those Democrats to cross party lines and give Mike Johnson his first victory as Speaker of the House. But uh, boy, a lot of Democrats were unhappy with taking money from the IRS. Uh, the Congressional Budget Office says that's going to increase the deficit by, you know, a huge amount. Twelve billion dollars, I think, was the number they threw out. So uh, it, it wasn't entirely clear how many Democrats would cross the aisle. But, boy, this aid to Israel is so important. The problem is, you know, it's dead on arrival in the Senate um, because they don't include aid to Ukraine and because they are funding it with funds that should have gone or would have gone to the IRS. So in just a minute, I'm going to talk with Congressman Michael McCall from the House Foreign Affairs Committee about his vote on this and what this means for aid for Israel. And are they, as the Democrats say, playing political football with aid to Israel at a time when Israel is deep in a war with Hamas? Uh, Elizabeth, uh, hang with us here for a second. Former Congressman, what happens next? I don't think that's a fair characterization Why not? to say that the Democrats who voted no were more concerned about the IRS. No, I like it. In fact, <laughs> in fact, they were more concerned about getting funding to Israel. That's the truth. It's not about the IRS. It's about playing games with Israel funding that they need now. Putting conditions so for the first time ever on aid yes. to Israel. What happens next? Um, the Senate will do its work. It'll go to a conference committee and probably the 12 Democrats that voted yes were concerned that there may not be another standalone vote right. on Israel funding. So they wanted to be marked down as yes, because on the conference bill, it'll be with many issues. It may not be a single vote on Israel. Elizabeth, so, you know, yeah, we're going to be following I, I, this here. I think the congressman misheard me or, I, or maybe I misspoke. I said the Democrats who voted for it wanted the aid for Israel. The Democrats who did not vote for it were concerned about funding it with the IRS funding. So, no, yes, it's no, the aid No, actually, for I, I did hear you. The, the 200 Democrats who did not vote with the new speaker are concerned about getting the aid to Israel now and not conditioning aid to Israel. I see what you're saying. So they're, they're, you're, they're the ones who are saying, and that's what we're going to have Congressman McCall answer, that they're playing political football with aid for Israel because they're passing a bill that they know won't pass the Senate. Right. If it makes her feel any better, I agree with Elizabeth. <laughs> there you go. Wait, who there said you go. that? <laughs> Spicer, Sean, Spicer. Sean, I'm sending yeah. you a gift package. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us, uh, Elizabeth. I love we appreciate hanging out it. with you guys, yeah, even yeah. if it's via satellite, you know. Yeah, always great to have you in. And Elizabeth Vargas reports comes up here uh, in about seven minutes' time. We'll see you then, Elizabeth. Thank you. All right, and coming up here on the Hill before then, with inflation and rising interest rates, the economy, as you know, is a top concern for Americans. We see this in every single poll. But not for Ferrari. 
That company's CEO saying today they have never done better. We'll explain with some final thoughts from the panel when The Hill on News Nation returns. Tonight, a News Nation exclusive, a mysterious incident involving UFOs hovering around the Arctic Circle and evading U.S. fighter jets. Don't you think the public had a right to know? Ross Coulthard has the exclusive tonight on Elizabeth Vargas Reports. All right, so before we say goodbye, here's a headline that caught our eye. While inflation, as you know, remains the biggest worry for Americans, Ferrari says it's doing great. They had a uh, earnings call today, and this is what the CEO said. Quote, the order book remains at its highest levels, uh, reflecting strong demand across all geographies, covering the entire 2025 year. Now, the luxury car company also says revenues are up 23%. Their total car shipments up 8% from the previous year. So you got all these headlines, and then, I mean, we all feel it. We all see it, inflation everywhere. Ferrari says they're living the life. Hey, listen, to quote the vice president. We did it, Joe. Uh, you know, a Ferrari in every garage now. Is this Bidenomics? Come on, let's do it. <laughs> I think they also have huge emerging markets uh, demand, especially in yeah. China and other places. So that's also what's really driving If it Ferrari. wasn't for the uh, soaring interest rates, I'd, I'd have mine. In You'd back. have yours if, if the loan wasn't at 4 yeah, or 5%. You can't pay cash for that, Sean? Come on, man. <laughs> You don't, you don't want to get leverage from that. You got to keep. I got to stay liquid. They delivered thirty uh, three thousand four hundred fifty nine vehicles. Uh, they also say they're going uh, full bore with their EV prototypes. Well, they have to. I mean, from that's like the, from the regulations, they don't. That's 